Haini pi haini pi haini pi wajani wina jankishna hini karigiwina hanachni pi harajara wi pinchji wonongshana good morning and greetings from the land of 11 nations or as everyone else calls it Wisconsin i want to give every one of you a big thank you for listening to this podcast what started as a trickle is now a healthy stream of listeners it's obvious that word is spreading about this podcast as our numbers continue to rise on all of our participate, participating platforms. Obviously, we have listeners who have spread the word about this podcast to their friends, family, and co-workers. This is truly wonderful, and I sincerely thank all of you. But listening is just the beginning. We need people to continue to listen, but we also need people to continue to tell others about the Chipotle podcast. Our voice here is simply a voice asking questions about our nation's governance. Questions that are asked by Ho-Chunk citizens, but are usually asked among individuals, you know, at the water cooler. And we're simply doing we're simply doing this, but we're aided by the internet. One final thing is your participation. This podcast requires the participation of all of our Ho-Chunk citizenry. We all see how our government is operating. And if you are happy with everything that's occurring, that's great. Then just text me and say so. I'd love to hear from you. If you see problems that you would like addressed, well, give me a call, email, and present your issues or your problems, whatever. This is a young democracy we're engaged in here. For 50 years, it has been run basically unchallenged. We've had a a few hiccups here and there, but we've largely left the running of the government to these individuals who are elected, appointed, or saw jobs within the bureaucracy. But outside of voting, we've never really challenged our government's actions or policies. Now, here at Chipotle, we are not attempting to undermine our government. We are simply practicing our constitutional obligations and are asking for clarifications on policy or voicing our disapproval of said policies. If for any reason you feel uncomfortable voicing a thought or challenging an elected official's policy, contact the Chipotle podcast and we'll ask those questions for you. Uh, you can contact uh, contact us here at uh, moneycuckseek at gmail.com. That's M-A-N-I-K-A-K-S-I-K at gmail.com. Or contact me at the Chipotle Podcast. Or you can reach me on the uh, Chipotle Podcast Facebook page. There you go. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Um change uh, gears here i'd just like to invite everyone to head on over to the ho-chunk district one community center on may 12th at 5 p.m for a panel discussion entitled how to build a stronger economy and future for the ho-chunk nation uh, indian country today president karen link and michael will moderate a discussion about economic issues and how ho-chunk citizens and journalists can build trust to collectively explore ideas to improve the quality of life within the community. Confirmed panelists include Mario Caran, reporter at Wisconsin Watch, and Thundercloud, owner of Thundercloud Communications LLC, Dan Brown, EM of Ho-Chunk Gaming Madison and former Ho-Chunk Nation Vice President, who will be appearing as a Ho-Chunk citizen. Bettina Warner, Economic Diversification Director of the Ho-Chunk Nation, Karina Thundercloud, Vice President of the Ho-Chunk Nation, um, appearing as a Ho-Chunk citizen, 
and President Marlon White Eagle, who will be appearing online. I don't know if he's going to be sitting as a president or just as a Ho-Chunk citizen. Uh, the event will be catered by Wild Berries with appetizers and refreshments afterwards. Uh, it would be really great if we get a lot of Ho-Chunk citizens to attend the event and ask questions to the panel about our financial future and how we're going to get there. Uh, I guess we'll see you there. So once again, that's uh, Thursday, May 12th at the District 1 Community Center at 5 o'clock and running until about 6.30 or whenever you folks get tired of asking questions. Um, appetizer and refreshments were prepared by Atlanta Terry's company, Wild Berries. Um, the panel discussion will be attended by uh, Jim Malowitz of Wisconsin Watch, Mario Coran of Wisconsin Watch, and Karen, Karen Lincoln Michael of Indian Country today. So that kind of means the state of Wisconsin and Indian Country are going to be looking at us, people. So everybody, bring your A-game. The Ho-Chunk Nation is undergoing its share of growing pains as the executive branch and the legislative branch engage in conflict over what is and what is not constitutional. It's my opinion that these conflicts are important in the formation of a more perfect government. As I see it, a major flaw for both branches is the incomplete or non-existent information that comes from both of them. I'm very interested in the proper functioning of our government so that our people are provided with the protections and services our government should be providing. That is why I talk about our government so much more on this podcast. But I also hope to engage more tribal members in thought and conversation about their government so that there's more participation from our people. I am happy to report that my listenership is surpassing my expectations. And I'd like to thank all of you for tuning in again. But I also see a trend. When I talk about government issues, my analytics tell me that while listenership is impressive, it falls short of another topic. And that topic is money. Whether it's per cap, grants, businesses, business diversification, separating business from government, my leadership, my listenership increases. And so, in the spirit of giving the listeners what you want, or what you seem to care a little more about, I'd like to share some thoughts on a matter that will have direct impact on the nation's ability to generate additional revenue. By now, most tribal members are likely aware that our Madison Casino generates the most revenue of the nation's six casinos. What many may not be aware of is that plans have been gone going for the past seven years for significant expansion and development of the properties. These have been planned that rightfully excluded the legislature. I understand that all told, there are around 45 acres of land around a casino. But there's a problem. When the land was purchased by the nation in the early 80s, the purchase was done either knowingly or unknowingly with an active underground gas pipe lighting running through the properties. This is reportedly an 8-inch high-pressure diesel pipeline operated by a subsidiary of an outfit called Flint Hills, a subsidiary of Koch Brothers. You might ask, well, if it's buried, who cares? Well, they're endangered. Inherent dangers with all technology associated with combustible fuels, obviously. Mistakes happen, accidents happen, explosions happen. This is, of course, the most obvious danger to the nation's primary revenue generator. But the pipeline also creates restrictions on any type of development. Even though the pipeline is underground, 
nothing can be built over it. In fact, there must be a 30-foot easement on both sides of the pipeline. This means that there has to be a 60-foot span of green space that runs the entire length of the pipeline through the nation's properties. That is a lot of wasted land that cannot be developed. Less, econo- less development means less opportunity for economic development. This means less opportunity for the nation to derive more income. Less opportunity for more money for the nation. In addition to this restriction, there has to be a 25-foot clearance above the entire length of the pipeline. Now, this renders a good deal of the nation's property is fairly useless. But, as I've been told, there is good news. Flint Hills has seen the plans for the Madison expansion and development, and when they recognize the kind of increased traffic and increased business the design will create, they immediately offer to assist in moving the pipeline. They didn't say they would move the pipeline. They simply said they would assist. What this means is that they were gracious enough to offer splitting the cost to move it. Now I'm told that what this would mean is that the current route of the pipeline would be redirected off of the nation's parcels and the underground pipeline currently on the nation's land would be capped and left underground. At a later time when construction on the Madison property would ensue, the construction company would simply remove it when the project approached that location. I am also told that the Ho-Chunk Gaming Madison team has also been collaborate, has collaborated with the city of Madison for the easement to where the redirected land pipeline would be buried off of Ho-Chunk land. Ho-Chunk Gaming Madison is already the premier moneymaker for the Ho-Chunk nation, but there is very obvious potential for the property to earn far more money for its people. The county continues to grow leaps and bounds, is located off the interstate that connects Chicago to Minneapolis. It is on a route that connects the property of to Milwaukee. It is located in the capital city of our state, and there are about 45 acres that could be fully developed. This issue is the very essence of economic development. All that is needed now is the willingness of the nation to invest in preparing these parcels for development. It is my opinion that the legislature has a responsibility to its people to assist our money makers, our casinos, in making even more money for the benefit of all the Ho-Chunk members. Well, I anxiously await yet another spike in listenership. All we need now is the legislature to jump in and help out. Greetings, everyone. Today, I'm happy to have Mike Salloway here with me. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine on this uh, nice evening, leaning towards spring, at least up in the lacrosse area, temperatures. Yeah, there was a lot of nice weather today. Um, Well, I just want to jump right into this. I don't want to take up too much of your time. So let me begin by asking you um, what your job title is for the nation, and are you appearing on this podcast representing that position? Or are you just appearing as a Ho-Chunk Nation citizen slash tribal member? Yeah, uh, I work for the Ho-Chunk Nation. My job title is Executive Administrative Officer. I started in, uh, let's see, 2019, probably in, uh, I think, uh, August, September, beginning of September of 2019. So I've been here roughly about two to three years. And I'm speaking on behalf as a tribal member, you know, that has been in the area for a while, you know, we're talking a few decades, 
and uh, got to see how things operate within, as a tribal member, uh, within the Ho-Chunk Nation. Well, originally I asked you on because of a court case that you're involved in, but because the case, uh, it hasn't been adjudicated yet, you're kind of restricted on what you can say. Therefore, I want to begin with another question. Um, there's a rumor floating around that you're crazy. Is there any truth to that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm crazy about a lot of things. I'm crazy about being a Ho-Chunk. I'm crazy about uh, having the opportunity to serve under uh, President White Eagle for this opportunity. Uh, I'm crazy for almost having my um, the ability to retire early. I actually retired about uh, in 2017, but when the pres- current president was elected, he asked me to come back on, and he was addressing the same kind of issues that uh, I saw were uh, big problems within the Ho-Chunk Nation. Sista- and I'm talking systemic issues. Crazy about wanting to you know, correct and uh, make those things go away and put the proper mechanisms for um, success for the Ho-Chunk Nation. So we're, we're talking long-term goals. And I also recognize that you know, a lot of people are searching for short-term goals, which means they get that, you know, small task done. But uh, like I said, uh, you know, a lot of it that I'm aiming for is long-term goals. So you can say I'm crazy. Yeah, I am crazy. About that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let me uh, see how you brought it up. What are some of the issues, systemic or otherwise, that uh, you feel need to be addressed by this nation at this particular time. Yeah, it, it's a unique. It's a unique thing me being in this uh, position right now because, you know, I was there, and uh, assisting, uh, combating at that time what was called the six pack. So this was in the late '80s, early '90s, and you know it eventually wound up in federal court. But I got to see how. Uh, our old WWBC functioned, and then and how it was uh, perpetrated. Uh, it perpetrated under the hands of a third party that influenced uh, the so-called six-pack and made the tribe basically dysfunctional and not serving the tribal members. And so, when that new constitution came in in '93, I got to see how that changed over. But what I also saw is that no one was, no one is formally educated into the the material within that constitution. You know, there's four different branches of government, and each branch has a different function. And when we transferred over from the WWBC into those four different branches, since no one was trained or educated, and we still have no formal training or education within um, within the Ho Chunk Nation, in my opinion. And we carry over some of those traits, some of those work habits, some of that thinking from the WWBC practice into our current into our current uh, practices. And sometimes, what I consider, in my opinion, being neglectful of our current con- constitution. There's been a number of suits that have been filed against the nation's uh, legislature in an attempt to help uh, President White Eagle fulfill his campaign pledge for transparency in, uh, in the Ho-Chunk Nation's government. Can you comment on whether these suits are helping President White Eagle's campaign 
on transparency or is it kind of hurting him? Well, the way I look at it, it's, it's all about change. You know, my experience in change uh, deals with some of my past work history. I used to be in, in, I used to be the nation, I was the nation's first compliance agent slash drug enforcement agent. And that was back in say 1998, 1999. That's when the formal title transferred from compliance agent to drug enforcement agent. What I got out of that job is very difficult for people to change on a dime, meaning to change quickly requires different types of thinking. And if you've got old habitual, you know, just like habit, you know, what you grew up around, what your friends did, how they made decisions, what your families did, how, how, the, <coughs> excuse me, how they made decisions, that habitual thinking, like I said, transverse not only from the old constitution to the new constitution, but into um, the way they interpret the constitution too. And so, um, you know, they're between the personnel in the different branches. That's the, that's the habit. So it, it remains an issue and those issues pop up in constitutions. So you got different branches thinking that, you know, carrying the old way of thinking, the WWC manner, and trying to take over tasks meant for other branches. And this creates problems. And I could cite a number, but I'm not going to go into detail. Um, but that's what creates issues. And uh, sometimes different branches change the rules to make it harder for the other branches to do their due diligence, meaning to do what they're expected to do, to do in their constitution as applicable to the constitution. And so, um, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, we kind of looked at when I served on the ethics review board, you know, we had to know the constitution. We had to, we had to make sure that people, tribal members were given the opportunity, tribal members and employees were given the opportunity to, um, our role was to justly look at complaints, look at the constitution, look at the various policies and to see whether or not that person had um, a proper complaint. And then could that proper complaint be remedied? And if not, then there was a, uh, there was a practice to determine if that person had, um, was justly served. And there are punitive, punitive damages awarded, you know, if that person was uh, right in filing their complaint. Well, it seems how you brought it up. What happened to the Ethics Review Board? Well, <laughs> I started serving it in 2008. And then 2016, uh, after a few um, ERB, I call it ERB for short, Ethics Review Board, hearings were conducted somehow the piece of legislation was changed to the effect that the ethics review board was wiped out and the person had a petition by themselves in court. And it would, that would make it very difficult for that person to have uh, no formal representation unless they, could, unless they could purchase the representation themselves, meaning afford an attorney. And, you know, attorney rates are somewhere between nowadays between I'd say thousand to five thousand dollars, and so uh, not very many people are going to go through that process. They're just going to say, "Well, 
you know, I don't want to go through that process. So I'll let it be and kind of perpetuates the problem. Would you, anything. would you advocate for the, uh, ethics review panel or board to come back? Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think when you've got an outside body, you know, that knows the constitution looks at the various ordinances, laws, uh, procedures within a specific unit, you know, could be education, could be gaming or business. Uh, it could be lands. Uh, when they look at the different policies within there and then the way that whatever issue that employees handled is addressed, you know, it's an easy follow step-by-step process, but, um, yeah, I think it could be uh, constructed again successfully um, to, to, to be fair and equitable, to be fair and treated like all others within a, within a uh, procedural manner. I guess the one question I was going to ask you is uh, why is transparency for both our legislature and the Office of the President uh, so hard to establish? But it sounds like you've kind of already uh, answered that just by saying that these are um, habits, old habits that we have. But in the same breath, how do we break them? Well, it, <laughs> this is one of the first things when uh, Marlon invited me uh, and I came on in September of 2017. I had, I had been retired for a couple of years, you know, because uh, I also I'm crazy <laughs> about investing. <laughs> and uh, so I got my own, my own personal finance, uh, my own personal finance uh, counselor. And so I had accumulated uh, a good amount of, uh, you know, capital and reinvested that capital. Capital just means the money you make off investments. So the money that I made, I just put that money back into investments again and then just multiplied. You know, and I started it in 1995. The irony is, the irony is that I've got, a, you know, I come from a family that has a lot of level of education, but I've always, my first question to them when I asked them, I said, how come you're still working then? You know, because, you know, they had the upper echelon of the education, but they were always working for somebody. My goal through the whole my whole pursuance of my college degree was not to be working for somebody. I know that sounds kind of funny. That kind of sounds like rich man, rich dad, poor dad. Yeah, right. Right. You know, you know that you ever read that novel. It's a good novel to read. It's kind of like you want you want to be your own boss and being your own boss, meaning you meaning you have the money or the capital to afford something to do something you enjoy to buy the equipment buy the personnel to pursue something that makes that money for you and not only makes the money for you but you also benefit the other people uh that are working within your uh constructive business so that that was my that was my goal and ambition and because i knew no one could (laughs) <laughs> I know no one could threaten to fire me. <laughs> now, nowadays, it's just kind of like, oh, okay, you do what you want to do. You know, it doesn't involve me, so well, you can't hurt me. Getting back to that, what do we do on this transparency, which is um, President one of President White Eagle's uh, tra- campaign planks? Yeah, um, I, having gone having gone through two. Two budget processes already. We're start, you know, we're on that middle road for the three number three budget process. Again, we're looking at transparency. We're looking at, you know, there's four branches. There's administration, which is the president. There's judicial, which are the courts. There's general counsel, which is general counsel. You know, that one meeting that we have 
that oversees all three branches. And then we've got legislature. So the only way we're heavily dependent, we're heavily dependent on our gaming revenue, meaning, you know, the money that we make from our casinos, the money that comes out of it goes straight to the legislatures who then divvy that up every year and dishes it out to the four different branches. All the three branches, administration, general counsel, and judicial, basically have their um, budgets, their proposed budgets for everybody to see. The problem seems to lie in that, and what I get from a lot of tribal members that I know and tribal relatives is that what is the what is the legislature's budget? And having been on the general counsel agency as a representative, you know, from I was a representative from the lacrosse area from 2008 to 2014, we actually got to see that we see that those figures and roughly the legislature has allocated 70 percent of that revenue. And the revenue at that time back then was somewhere between, let's say, between 140 and 150 140 and 150 million per year. Okay, hold on. Say that again. So the revenue at that time, at that time, it was somewhere between 140 and 150, could be, you know, 160, 140, say 140 and 160 million per year. And so, you know, breaking it down again, 70% of that revenue was controlled by the legislatures, as I remember it. You know, that's my, that's what, what I remember. It might have changed, you know, since that time because I haven't been in that area since, uh, oh, just going on nine years now. Yikes. Yeah. Time flies <laughs> when you're having fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So um, that, you know, that is that is what I mean by, you know, how is that money being spent? You know, I, I, I remember one interview that you did with um, – uh, another guest, and it was regarding the Chicago project or the, the casino that we were trying to put in Chicago. And I, from what I hear, it could all be hearsay. You know, forty million was spent for that project, and this is about information. You know, informed choice. You know, we have to, as a government official, you know, I have to answer to uh, the tribal tribal members, and I would, <laughs> I can almost guarantee at least in my opinion, <laughs> that if um, you wanted the tribe to invest in casino or get their per- regular per cap, I'm almost, I can almost guarantee, again, from my perspective, that it would have been per cap. Because I'm going, $40 million, that could have paid for you know, almost, what is it, $9 million a, I think it's somewhere like $9 million a pop you know, when you, per quarter. So that could have paid for one full year of uh, per cap. You know the, the regular three thousand dollars at that time. So, looking at this, you know, a major stumbling block for our like our judiciary when people are filing suits to open up the uh, legislature and the president's books, so we say, "Hey, we want to take a look at this." Um, the judiciary is kind of beholden to the legislature because of that budgetary process you were just talking about. Then you hit it right on the money, right? So, and- how do we get how do we get around that? So the legis- the judiciary, is it you know is its own boss? Well, it, it's it would have to function under the same kind of uh, allocation 
well, taxes and fees. You know, there's got to be there already. There's always there always this unit already. This this exchange between state, federal, and county governments. You know, there's um, there's money that goes directly back into the uh, piggy banks of the court and of the regulators, meaning the cops, of um, you know fines or taxes or fees of some form, of some sort that go directly back into their coffers to fund the services that they're available. And since we are a tribal nation and we are legally a nation within a nation or like a foreign government, we've got that ability to uh, develop such a tax and fee resource and to assist us in the startup of it. We can also go after grants. We can go after grants uh, that are available uh, through the uh, federal government, you know, through different areas like the Department of the Interior or the Department of Agriculture or the Department of Education or the Department of Energy. These are all programs within the U.S. that's designed to build the inner workings of an area that and the people that need these kind of resources, need these kind of money to develop such a system. And then once that system is started by these initial grants, then you can work off the um, the money thereafter. You know, you can all, you can always uh, pursue further grants or develop some kind of uh, exchange between you know the individuals that you serve and charging fees and uh, taxes for those individuals you serve. So an option would be just to, for our leg- our judiciary to go after grants just to get out of the pocket of the legislature. Yeah, that, that's, that's true. Yep. That I, you know, there are such uh, grants available, but um, you know, again, in my opinion, I think that we're, we've become too dependent on our net profit and distribution, you know, our money from our gaming revenues that are, that's been transferred from the business department into the uh, hands of the uh, people that develop, that allocate the budgets that distribute, that money out to the different branches. And that goes back to your original statement, how we all fall back into this, doing the same thing. Like, right. uh, you know, what is it? The uh, definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Right, right. I, you know, when I first uh, <laughs> went into my area of econ, and I was a bit naive, you know, we didn't have we didn't have money when we were growing up. So, you know, money was a new thing that I had to learn at that time, too. And... Um, <laughs> one one economic theory that I, I had a debate with a professor at that time. This was when I was uh, my first two years in California because <laughs> I went to Cal State LA in uh, Los Angeles for my first two years. He actually said, you know, uh, economic theory is all people are inherently lazy. Yeah. And, it, <laughs> <laughs> and when you stop and think about it, you know, I was kind of defensive about that. So, you know, people aren't lazy. I've seen people work all this time and all, you know, they're not afraid of work. But what the concept meant, what that theory meant is that people are going to, so long as they meet their goal, people might use the method of uh, using the lesser energy with the least amount of effort to obtain the goal. That's all that theory means. You know, it doesn't mean people are lazy. It's just that. So the theory does say that, 
people are inherently lazy. People will try to get the most out of what little they do. And as I've uh, gone through life, I've found that be, you know, when you look at it, correct, you know, because our people are going to, you know, at least my opinion, you know, minimize their effort to get to something they, they want to achieve. And it all depends on the uh, education and work experience of the individuals that are pursuing that goal. Well, it seems like right now in our present state, education means very little when you have a legislature that does a lot of their work behind closed doors or will not be transparent. Right, but that's but that's that's where you know programs like this and um, independent um, independent uh, news sources that's where they come in. They play that role, and that's one thing that. Um, we don't have access to within the Ho-Chunk Nation. You know, a lot of people mention the Wodak, but I, you know, I keep saying, at least people that I, I have talked to and I've shared my, my thoughts about this, I said, well, who pays the salary for the personnel at the Wodak? It's the Ho-Chunk Nation. And who pays the Ho-Chunk Nation? We get at our gaming revenues. And who, where does that gaming revenue go? It goes to the legislature. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, it's it's a natural inclination, at least in you know, from my perspective, that you know, if you've got that job, you're going to be careful at, at at what you say and what you do within that paper. And so that's where you know, a person like a private entrepreneur, you know, has that uh, opportunity to take news themselves. You know, interview interview the legislatures, interview the president, interview the general counsel agency interview judicial on any kind of thoughts that are coming from the community. You know, you can interview uh, tribal members in all different four areas and get a consensus on, you know, what are their priorities? And that's invaluable information for politicians because that gives them a direction as to what to do and how to do it, what's needed and what's not. And that's another thing to distinguish too, you know, between needs and wants, but that's why I kind of emphasize needs you know, because uh, whatever the need is, it's important enough for the tribal people to talk about. And sometimes those needs aren't listened or not addressed by uh, government officials. I think, I think you know, sometimes people misconstrue or not understand totally, you know, what style of, of government that we have. You know, because we've got a clash between, you know, the American style of government and what our Ho-Chunk tradition and beliefs are, our cultural things. You know, our, our cultural things mean inclusion. You know, we have a consensus. This is why we have a general council. You know, this is why we did, had different uh, clan leaders. This is why we had um, different types of leaders covering different roles uh, way back when in what our duties were. And those, those leaders were in charge of uh, their friends and family members to play a role in getting that specific uh, role done. And what we have now is, you know, through a model of the U.S. system, we've got independence, you know, independent thinking. And that clashes with our group thinking. And that's where you know, the courts are coming in and 
you know, in my opinion, you know, a lot of that basis of precedents or past cases or past rulings or issues that were brought up in the past and how they were handled, they use that as a model rather than, you know, which means independent, independent thinking versus, you know, what's in the best interest of the group, you know, as a tribe, you know, because, um, you know, we can see some of our, our tribal, in my opinion, tribal traditions, we can see some of our tribal actions uh, begin to change. And sometimes that change is not for the better. So, I mean, that's what I've seen in the, in the 30 plus years that I've lived in the area as I've seen different issues coming out. Like, for example, you know, when we first started out with the general council, at least, you know, when, when I attended it, this was back in the uh, late 80s, you know, we had, we were able to gather uh, around 15, 13, well, 1,200, 1,500 people at a general council with no financial incentives. All the word has to, you know, the word just got out through the community that this was, there was a specific issue and people understood the issue and they felt a need to participate to try to resolve the issue. Nowadays, and then, and then you would have the general council, those number of people would amass and they would issue out a, you know, uh, uh, out a decision out of that, uh, out of that uh, gathering. Nowadays, <laughs> we have to pay people. We have to pay people incentives to get together. And so, you know, that's where I'm kind of saying, you know, that's where some of this, some of these values, these independent values are coming in and they're weaving themselves through this process. And that's where I basically say, I said, you just, you know, this is what I tell my friends and families. Just, just stick by a set of rules. You know, it doesn't matter where they come from. Uh, but just stick by them and try to live by them. And then, you know, your actions will determine how successful you are if you stick and stick by them. Good and, thought. And lead them in your life. Yeah. All right. I just don't want to take too much of your time. I got to took longer than I thought. Um, let me ask you this final question. If you were conducting this interview, uh, what question would you ask that I failed to ask you? Well, what I, what I would look at is I would ask our, are people happy with the function of the tribal government? And then what do they see as a remedy to help start up the changes as, as per our constitution? You know, the great thing about the constitution is that we can, uh, we can change it or we can amend it. Just like the U.S. Constitution, there's 27 amendments to that thing. We can amend our Constitution here, but we also got to have participation. And participation usually comes through education. So we've got to, you know, we've got to further educate our our young people, and not just transition them from, you know, get them ready for that final year in high school to transition into either. Uh, vocational technical college or a university but we got to start earlier than that we got to start in the elementary school level you know maybe fourth or fifth grade and teaching you know ho-chunk history ho-chunk history and uh, you know what the intrinsic values are and uh intrinsic just means you know 
values that are important to that one culture. And uh, as I said before, group interaction is is part of that because we're free to start uh, discussions among ourselves and not be offended. We're just exchanging ideas. Whereas, <laughs> you know, when you go into that independent style, uh, you know, you could be silenced, you know, very quickly. And, you know, that's, there's a lot of examples of different types of governments throughout the world that, you know, adopt that type of, uh, that type of uh, governance, type, that type of leading. And, you know, it's not a pretty, it's not a pretty government. No. So at the end of my uh, interviews, I'd like to give uh, the person I'm interviewing the floor. So if there's anything you'd like to uh, say, anything you'd like to promote, um, anyone you, you want to yell at, um, <laughs> floor is all yours. Yeah. yeah. What, what I would like, what I would like to everybody to think about is that, you know, there is, I would, I would encourage participation, um, not only in, not only through, well, let me congratulate you on, on just saying thanks for thank you for the opportunity of giving this chance to uh, be conducted be be part of this interview and, and discussing some of the issues that you know that were on my mind. And I would encourage any other tribal member um, that has any any type of these you know community members, uh, any supervisors, managers, directors, any politicians to also participate in. Uh, and you know, in this uh, podcast, because it gives everybody a chance to be heard, and you know that's the key to um, bringing those issues out, having those issues dis- discussed, developing some kind of remedy if it's a uh, if it if it's a problem, having some kind of discuss those kind of remedies uh, that's going to resolve that problem. You know, because I <laughs> I've seen a lot of uh, and it's it's not intentional. I've seen a lot of ignorance, you know, just to ignore something and let it bypass. And you know, I've watched things that were there when I first worked first worked for the nation, you know, almost twenty years, better than twenty years ago, um, not be resolved. You know, they were the same things that I saw when I was first working there from you know basically from ninety three to ninety nine. And you know, like I said, I came back in two thousand nineteen. Uh, to resolve some of these issues. So, you know, I would like the people's voices to be heard and, and, um, participation, a formal, a formal participation of the general council where we, you know, the general council's got the issues, you know, three to four months prior to the general council. So the each tribal member can read and understand and discuss these issues that are going to be discussed at the general council. You know, I'd like the general council to be formal, you know, without only tribal members, you know, only only tribal members, you know, without an additional uh, family or friends that are not tribal. Only because of this, you know, um, I think the general council, the only branch of gov- <laughs> government that allows um, people not associated with the tribe or not associated with any kind of uh, not being a tribal member to to participate in that style of government. I mean, I don't see this in in the American style of government or Black River Falls or Wisconsin Dells county county government or you know any kind of uh, foreign foreign government structure. You know, 
So, you know, that's, you know, because that, that's the importance is the, is the transfer of information, you know, transfer of information prior to making a decision. Because that's one of the things that I saw when I was on the general council uh, as a representative for the lacrosse area. You know, sometimes we would put these uh, ideas uh, to them right away. You know, they'd get it right at the day of the general council and then people would be voting on something they had no knowledge or background or a discussion about. And sometimes, um, you know, sometimes those proposals were not, not the greatest thing. <laughs> yeah yeah well it sounds like you were <laughs> you've had that experience also i i've i've seen it yes yeah yeah well i just so, want to say uh thank you for your uh time and i kind of want to apologize for playing cat and mouse for you this weekend but uh we finally got it together and hooked up and uh if people want to contact you how do uh how do they do that well they can they can uh reach me through the uh Right now, I'm on I'm on leave right now, but I return to work on the 30th. So they can contact me through the office of the prison, you know, after the 30th. All right. Well, um, thank you for your time, and uh, enjoy your time off. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and uh, thank you for the uh, interview and uh, the greetings. And you have a nice uh, have a nice evening. All right. You too, deserve. Bye. Bye. Why is this sports book such a big deal right now? Is it, to quote those in a know, the next big thing? I don't know if a sports book is going to have the masses lined up in front of our casinos ready to put $35 down on Milwaukee plus two and a half. But I'm going to bet probably not. We had the next best thing at the ho- the next, next big thing at Ho-Chunk when we opened up the poker room. Well, that pig went and died an ugly death. Then we had OTB. I'm one of the few degenerates that had regularly visited that mausoleum. I went up there yesterday to put $20 down on Rich Strike. That mistake cost me $1,600. That's because we don't have OTB anymore. What I'm saying is, with poker and the OTB, we didn't have to renegotiate our compact. Okay, the state did put up a tussle on the poker thing, but we quote-unquote won that in the end. Obviously, the state will figure out some net revenue formula or something that will promise an equal distribution of the profits between us and the state. But, come on, who's the state kidding? They know we're getting screwed, and we know we're getting screwed. But people are lining up behind us because it's the next big thing. You want to hear the next big thing? Really? How about Bally's $1.7 billion casino being planned for Chicago? How about Waukegan's temporary casino is going to open up sometime in the summer? How about the Hard Rock Casino in Rockford is going to open up in 2023 and replace their temporary site? Now at that restaurant, and they're just still just raking in cash. Meanwhile, we're still waiting on a final okay so our casino can be built in Beloit. Maybe. Hopefully. Could be. Hey, but we're chasing the next big thing. A sports book. That is going to put all those new casinos to shame in Illinois. That's until we close the damn thing because nobody really wanted it in the first place. Yeah!